You're listening to the Arise Church Podcast. We are an Acts 29 church in Ventura, California, where we exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage culture. Find out more info or hear more sermons at our website, ariseventura.com. Thanks for listening. Uh, we're in the book of James. You can turn in your Bibles there. Chapter 3, the passage that Jeff read for us. Um, and I hope, I hope you have a Bible, and I hope you're ready to participate today. Today's a little bit of crowd participation, so prepare your heart and your soul to volunteer yourself to read some scripture today. You know, I want to I say like, nah, Jeff, you can't do it. Somebody else got to do it, right? So get your heart ready for that. You'll know when we get there. Uh, but we're going to spend some time reading it together out loud. Just a few passages to help us get our minds around what we're engaging with today. Um, so I'm going to read our passage again, just so it's in our mind. And then I'll pray for our time. James 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Father, I just come before you this morning and uh, thankful for the wind on our, our faces and my bald head. <laughs> thankful for the ability to sing songs to you that we do have breath in our lungs, that we have ears to hear this morning and eyes to see. Um, thankful for uh, just your grace to us and the ability to meet. Uh, even thinking about the gentleman who rode down on his bike just now and gave a wave to what we were doing. We, we can come here and gather without fear of persecution, without fear of anyone coming and, and um, shutting our service down for any reason, Lord. And that's a grace that you've given us. So will we enjoy this time in light of that uh, as we consider uh, what it means to be wise and how we can better be uh, people of wisdom and how we can uh, rely on your spirit to help us be that way. So would your spirit go before us now, uh, break down the barriers and the walls in our hearts and our minds and our distractions. We pray for our little homie, the little dog in the backyard, uh, that he wouldn't be a distraction for us. And uh, even if he's barking, Lord, he would still not be a distraction for us, but that we could focus on you and your word and your goodness towards us this morning. We thank you for your grace in Jesus name. Amen. Now, I won't ask you to share it. I won't ask you to share it. But how many of you guys have like uh, an inside joke that you like really, really enjoy? Raise your hand. You got you got an inside joke that you're like me and that person. We, we vibe, right? Inside jokes are fun. Inside jokes are cool. And what makes them fun? Just talk to me. What makes an inside joke enjoyable? The secrecy of it, right? Only that person knows. Only that person knows. Takes you right back to the moment it started. A memory, right? When you were there and you were on the lake and broke his leg and whatever, right? You have that story to tell. Yeah. 
What makes an inside joke not fun for others? They don't know. The secrecy of it. <laughs> they can't relate, right? They weren't there for the story. They don't have that memory. So they feel kind of like on the outside of the story that you and your other friend are just vibing on, right? So all of us have some form of an inside joke. Now, this is a stretch. But when we come to the Bible, uh, there's a lot of inside jokes, if you will. And if we don't have the proper context we're going to miss the punchline. And coming to James this morning, uh, we're walking into an inside joke of sorts. You got to remember who James is writing to. You can flip back to chapter one to remind ourselves of that. Verse one says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. So every time we come to the text of scripture, we know that the writer is writing to someone specific at a certain time, right? There's a context to what he's writing. And James is writing to the 12 tribes. That would be the tribes of Israel, right? And they're in the dispersion. They're out amongst the world and he's writing to encourage them. Now, when he says the 12 tribes, he's speaking to a specific group of people that have a specific context, that have a specific culture, that have a specific inside jokes if you will. There's a rich Jewish heritage that all of the people James is writing to have in common. And something many of us don't have, uh, that same type of heritage, maybe some of us do, um, but many of us don't have that same heritage. How many of you guys maybe grew up with catechism, going through any kind of form of catechism? A few people, okay. Thinking about catechism and all of the questions and the answers and the engagement through that, that would be a form of tradition that if somebody doesn't know the, the questions and the answers, they'd be kind of left out. Um, you might hear some of the popular ones, what's the chief end of man? And some of you guys might be able to answer that, right? Um, but some of us would be like, uh, I don't know, what is the chief end of man? You tell me. Um, there's context and there's history to what is being said. And the same thing is happening uh, as we come to this text this morning. There are probably nominal Jews that, that uh, James is writing to that didn't really know their Torah that well. They didn't really engage with the rituals and traditions as much as maybe some other people. But growing up in the 12 tribes that are in the dispersion, you would have some real keen uh, connection to your uh, religious Jewish heritage. You would know about the laws and the festivals. You would know about the prophets and you would know about the writings and you would know about the Torah. You would even have some of those verses memorized. The Hebrew Bible is broken up into three sections. We'll get a little technical today, give you some freebies here. Uh, we all have heard or maybe heard the Torah, right? That's the five books of Moses. And then the other two sections of the Hebrew Bible is the Neve'im which is the prophets. That would be all of the prophetic books, Isaiah, Jeremiah, so on and so forth. And then we have what is known as the Ketuvim, which is just the writings. And that's what we would call all of the wisdom literature, uh, the Psalms, the Proverbs, and it would include the historical books like First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel. And so in those, the Ketuvim, the writings, would include the wisdom literature, and this was this three part sectioning was a way to kind of organize thinking about the the words that God gave to his people. 
You can come to me later if you want to ask how to, those are spelled. I'll give them to you. And James is drawing deeply upon this scriptural heritage, this biblical knowledge, this, this breadth of wisdom that the, the people of God would have. And specifically, he's drawing upon the Ketuvim. So when he says wisdom, it's going to take that Jewish person's mind to the writings and it's going to take them to the wisdom literature that is in the writings. They're going to be drawn there. It's a, a word that makes sense to them when he's saying wisdom. It's something they're very, very familiar with and not just familiar with in a general way, but familiar with it in a very specific way in which the word of God talks about wisdom. So if we don't take time to put ourselves in the audience's shoes, we run the risk of misunderstanding this text this morning. If we don't take the time to understand what is, what is a, a tribe, one of the 12 tribes understanding of wisdom, we will run the risk of misunderstanding what James is trying to say and ultimately misinterpreting and misapplying the text. So, so what do we need to understand? We go back to James chapter three, verse 13, and he says, who is wise and understanding among you? Now, if you remember a few weeks ago when, when I was teaching through James chapter one, uh, 19 through 17, we made a quick pit stop if, to this, this part of the book. And we talked or I talked about how this passage is the peak or the climax of the book of James, of the whole book, everything before it and everything after it kind of points back to this question and how he breaks down what wisdom actually is. Who is wise and understanding among you? Um, it's another one of those rhetorical questions, right? He's not really like looking for you to like, oh, yeah, be quiet. Who is wise and understanding among you? And the entire book of James, uh, we could summarize it being this way, this a benchmark of authentic, maturing faith. The whole book of James is talking about a benchmark of authentic and maturing faith in Jesus and giving us little, little markers along the way to talk about what that looks like. And here in chapter three, James kind of plays his hand and he says, everything that is authentic and maturing is going to be done in wisdom. Everything that is authentic and maturing is going to be done in a wisdom that comes from above. It's going to be practiced and pursued and applied with God's wisdom, not human cunning or human wisdom. And he gets specific uh, here and it's, it's this godly wisdom. And so if we think back to chapter one, when we're faced with fiery trials that come before us, what, was, what does wisdom do? You can talk to me. What does wisdom do? Go back to read chapter one real quick if you got to. It's fine. <laughs> wisdom asks of God, right? So when fiery trials comes, come towards us, when we're wrestling with what is coming after us or things that are happening to us, what does wisdom do? It goes to God and asks for help. That's what wisdom from above does. Wisdom from below would do the opposite of that. It would work it out in your own flesh and create division and strife in your own striving. Wisdom from above is slow to speak, slow to hear, or quick to hear and slow to anger. Wisdom from above looks at the law of liberty back in James 1, 22 to 27 and perseveres doing what it says. That's what wisdom from above would do. 
Wisdom from above is, is not partial. And it has a faith that actually works. Going back to chapter 2, and that's all that chapter 2 is talking about. That wisdom from above is an impartial wisdom. He even says that here in this chapter, right? And it has a faith that is not dead, but is alive and active and is shown in how you live. Chapter 3 we looked at last week, 1 through 12, wisdom from above knows how to tame the tongue. Wisdom from above knows how to tame the tongue. And this is what we're all in pursuit of in this Christian life, is it not? This life of, of what James would say is a life of wisdom and a life of wisdom that is lived out from understanding what God has said. And so as we move forward in this book, in the subsequent weeks, we're going to continue to see what wisdom looks like in the life of the maturing Christ follower. What wisdom looks like as you continue to to wrestle, strive, fight and pursue Jesus. Right. It's not all roses and strawberries. It's sometimes hard, but it can be accomplished as we move in the wisdom from above and resisting the wisdom that is from below. And so we have to ask the question, all right, Barry, you made a point. Sounds good. What's wisdom? What is biblical wisdom? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, Steve gave us a definition and I won't put him or anybody else on the spot to make you like say, well, remember what it was. Um, But back at chapter one and wisdom was defined as skillful living. Wisdom being defined as skillful living. Where does a skill come from? Where do, you, where do you learn this skill to live in such a way that would prove you are wise? Well, it comes from understanding the wisdom preserved for us in God's word. In order to understand how to live wise, we have to understand what God has said living wise is. And there's a specific kind of way that God has prescribed for us to live wise. Get your hearts ready to read those passages because they're coming, all right? We don't have time to go through all of the wisdom literature. We don't even have time to go through some of the passages that I'd want to go through. Uh, But I thought we would just jump in where wisdom is very, very clearly parsed out for us. And that's in the book of Proverbs. And so few volunteers. Could I have someone volunteer to read Proverbs chapter one, verses one through seven? Proverbs chapter one, verses one through seven. Thank you. Proverbs chapter three. 13 through 15, praise, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1, and then Proverbs 22, 17 through 18, who's got that, Steve's got that, okay, so we'll start back at Proverbs chapter 1, 1 through 7, just where you are, stand up, sit down, read aloud enough for everyone to hear. Wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Thank you, Christine. Who had Proverbs 3? How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver and her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire compares with her. Hmm. Now, Take a moment there and think about all the bills you got to pay. Do you feel like wisdom is better to gain than the money you need to pay your bills? Don't answer that question. <laughs> Don't answer that question. But look what the writer is saying. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and understanding, right? And saying that this wisdom that you find is so much more precious than silver and gold and the riches you can acquire in the world. Wisdom is better to have. Who had 10-1? Who can say amen? amen? A wise son makes his father glad, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. And I, I, I wanted us to stay there for a moment, right? Because all of us are, are in authority. I'll say it that way, right? Under, under some kind of authority and following what we've been told to do is wisdom. Walking in wisdom to obey what Maybe our father says, or someone in authority to us. And a, a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Walking in wisdom has real implications for how we live our everyday lives. And then lastly, who had Proverbs 22? Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise, and apply your heart to my knowledge. For it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, if all of them are ready on your lips. Amen. I want to run that one back. <laughs> I didn't know. Incline, incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. For it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, if all of them are ready on your lips. All of them are ready on your lips. Now, I, I encourage everybody in this next week to just I know Steve said proverb a day, but you can sit down and you can knock out the proverb, proverbs in a week's time. Um, and reading through all of the proverbs and look through the implications and the calls and the cries for walking in wisdom. Take some time to really do that. But this last one here in 22 that we looked at, incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. There's a bit of active participation that it takes in order to walk in wisdom, right? It says, incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. That assumes a few things. It means, one, that you're going to actively go and do that. And two, it means that you're surrounding yourself around wise people, right? Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. Not only that, but apply your heart to my knowledge, for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you. If all, all of them are ready on your lips. Reading that reminds me of, of Jesus when he was tempted by the devil, right? And he was ready. The word of God, the wisdom of God was ready on his lips to respond to the literally the demonic wisdom coming from Satan. Didn't God say? But Jesus was ready with the wisdom of God, not demonic wisdom. It was on his lips and he was ready to fight and respond. 
So again, I wish we had more time to really marinate ourselves in what the scripture talks about wisdom. So I just encourage you, go home this week and read through the wisdom that is found there in the Proverbs. Uh, but we need to know this wisdom. It needs to be something that we pursue with a, a passion and a, and a fervency that really is, is wanting to transform our hearts and our minds. Walking in wisdom takes skill, takes time, takes energy, and we have to learn how to do it well. And again, praise be to God that he's given us his word. He didn't go out there and say, hey, figure it out. He said, no, I, I got you. It's right here. It's in my word. Read it, live it, and understand it. So I, I hope you'll go back and learn how you can grow greater in skillful living. But knowing all of that, even that little brief kind of remarks that we read there helps what James saying here so much more powerful when we get to understand the wisdom that he is talking about. So back at James, who is wise and understanding among you? Well, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And as you walk through the Proverbs, you will see those consequences, talking about the vileness and the evil practices that come as a result of not living wise. The pitfalls that are before us every day as we, as we refuse to walk in wisdom. And James has this deep understanding of wisdom in his mind, and his writers have that same understanding. And I, I hope this morning in that little bit of time, we're inching closer towards having a, a, a helpful understanding of wisdom from a, a Jewish perspective. Now, verse 13 says, who is wise and understanding among you? No, no need to really nitpick over those words. They're two sides of the same coin. It's not like I got, I got to pursue wisdom and understanding, and this is kind of crazy. I don't know how to do it. Um, Wisdom is skill for living and understanding is a level of knowledge that acts and is able to teach or lead others. You can't have wisdom without understanding. And if you do not have understanding, if you don't have the ability to to act on what you what you've learned and what you understand and you can't explain that to somebody else, why it's helpful to live in a certain way, you probably aren't wise. So wisdom is skillful living and understanding is a level of knowledge. It's not just knowledge, right? It's not just knowledge of some facts, but it's a level of knowledge that acts and enables you to teach and lead others. Uh, this word is actually only used here. Understanding is only used here this time in the New Testament. It's used in Deuteronomy in the um, Greek Old Testament, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's used to talk about the judges of Israel, that they were to be wise and understanding, enabling them to lead and oversee and judge rightly the people of God. And so this, this question here, this rhetorical question, who is wise and understanding? Uh, it's talking about a person who has a life that is demonstrated by living skillfully and able to explain how others can live skillfully. So he's asking the question. He's, he's asking that question off of the, the heels of the tongue. And I, I can't really think of wisdom 
outside of teaching, outside of explaining, outside of being an example to someone. And most of our time is spent talking to people, right? So he's asking this question off the heels of talking about being able to tame your tongue. And he says, okay, I bet you guys think you're pretty wise. You can say some things. You got things to say about Jesus even, right? Well, who's wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show it. He didn't say, give me a dissertation. He didn't say, explain everything you got to explain to me. He said, let me see that you're wise and understanding by the way that you conduct yourself in your everyday life. I remember uh, when I was 18, I started working uh, right out of, out of high school at a uh, after school program. Uh, so I'm 18, right? And obviously a lot of life experience over a fifth grader, right? But it's really only like eight years of life experience over a fifth grader. So, so I had a level of wisdom uh, and maybe not a high enough level of understanding that it was, I was able to actually instruct and help and teach these fifth graders. Fast forward 10 years and I'm working at another after school program when I'm 28. And there was just a little bit higher level of understanding and ability to talk to these fifth graders to where I was literally looking at, I was looking this one kid in the face and I was like, bro, I promise you, I promise. If you listen to everything I tell you right now, you will be so successful in life, I promise. Uh, and we were trying to not hit people with stuff. So, <laughs> but just that time, right? It, that I was able to grow in, in an understanding of life and a quality of, of, of even treating people and the way things go, the, the temperament and understanding of how to engage with a child. Uh, I grew in my ability to do that at 28 versus 18. Um, and I was able to apply wisdom and understanding in a more helpful kind of way. Uh, and that's, that's the texture that James highlights here. By his good conduct, let him show his works in a specific kind of way, in the meekness that belongs to wisdom. I like to say it that way. In the meekness of wisdom. That of there is, is, is saying that meekness belongs to wisdom. So if there isn't meekness in your wisdom, you don't have wisdom. Because wisdom comes with meekness all the time. It doesn't sometimes leave it at home. Meekness follows wisdom everywhere wisdom is. So James is, is highlighting that texture. Who is wise under, among you? Okay, that's great. Let him prove by his conduct and his meekness that belongs to wisdom. But what is meekness? So if wisdom is skillful living, meekness can be defined as power under control. Meekness can be defined as power under control. I got this line from a hip hop song where the guy says, um, you want to know what hard is. Hard is having the power to get off the cross, but not floss it. Where hard, Jesus having all of the power in the universe to remove himself from the cross, but his power was under control and he didn't do it to fulfill his father's plan because he was meek and mild. Power under control. What is the opposite of this? Well, James tells us there in verse 14. The opposite of meekness, which belongs to wisdom, is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. That's, that's important there, right? 
that there's a, a root to your anger. There's a root to your bitterness. There's a root to your jealousy. And it's deep in your heart that gets manifest in outward ways. And he says, don't be boastful. Don't be boastful and be false to the truth. You really aren't wise if your words, if your demeanor, if your conduct is rooted in a heart that is embittered and selfish. You might have something good to say, but why are you saying it? If your heart is rooted in bitterness, and I'm just going to say it so I can, I got you. Or it's selfish ambition that you're trying to, to put your wisdom out there so that people can really look at you and see you as the guru that people need to look to. And I can, I can confess that I haven't been on Facebook in a few weeks. As I look at what my friends and people that I know are saying, and I have those moments of like, oh, let me let, me let them know what I got to say. <laughs> let me really tell them and set them straight kind of mentality. I've been wrestling with that in various different ways and different forms. But even if, if I believe what I have to say is right, even if I believe what I have to say is right, meekness and wisdom go hand to hand and that is power under control. So I have to really stop and ask myself, is what I'm saying to promote my own agenda, my own self, my own ideas, or am I actually really wanting to promote Jesus and his agenda and his ideas? And if I'm honest, nine and a half times out of 10, I just got to close the computer. <laughs> and at halftime, I still close the computer. <laughs> but really wrestling with that power under control, even if what I have to say is right, am I going to say it in the meekness of wisdom? Does it have that texture of meekness? And if it doesn't, walk away. If it doesn't walk away, why is this so important? I love the Bible when it gives you the answer to your questions. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And I can definitely say anytime I had selfish ambition and I tried to assert it somewhere, it did not end up well. No one said, thank you, Barry, for promoting yourself. No one. Maybe one day. I don't know. No, it won't happen. But where there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And that can have all kinds of forms. We won't sit here and parse them all out today. And you know what your vile form and, and outworking of that sin in your own heart is this morning. So where there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there's disorder in every vile practice. And, and I love this. I love this part because you read those words and not only do they have ne negative connotations in their own, like in the words that we're using there, but you kind of feel the tension in reading them. I think even Jeff, he's a poet, so he brought some of that tension out in how he read. But there's tension in those, in those words. And then there's this very, very spiritual release in verse 17. For where jealousy and selfish are, yeah, verse 17, but the wisdom from above is pure. Your shoulders just kind of drop. And you, you feel some type of way about that word pure. And then it's peaceable. And then it's gentle. Whew, it's open to reason. What? It, it's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And those words just kind of, they sink you a little bit in a good way. 
where you, you realize this agitation that's there and, and selfish ambition and bitterness, that, that, that monkey on your shoulder that is super hungry all the time, right? And, and God says, if you do it my way, there's this release. There's this ability to, to be calm. There's a peace that is present. Jesus said it a different way. Turn to Matthew 11. Matthew chapter 11. If you got to say amen. amen. If you got to say amen. amen. Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Matthew eleven twenty five. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see how Jesus said it a little differently and James was drawn on that? This bitterness and this jealousy and this selfish ambition that is found in worldly and unspiritual and demonic kind of wisdom is agitating to your soul. But Jesus being the greatest example of meekness, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls in him. And if we're honest... If we're honest, we all came in this morning operating not with wisdom that's from above in some way or another in our lives. And if we're really honest, we might even admit that we've been operating with demonic wisdom or that our wise words have not been accompanied by meekness in some way, in some surface, maybe it's just in the depths of your own heart and it's unspoken. We all wrestle with that. And I I think that's what makes our faith so unique. I think that's what makes our faith so unique that all of us could admit that, that we've been wrestling with that kind of angst and, and, and jealousy and bitterness in different kind of ways in our hearts this week and maybe even this morning. And we can say Jesus. But it's not about your inability, or maybe it is about your inability, and that's the point. That you cannot live wise apart from resting in the yoke that Jesus provides. That we as a people of God cannot walk in in wisdom that is from above if we do not rest in the yoke that Jesus provides. And he wants you, he appeals to you, take my yoke. 
Again, that yoke, that heavy yoke of bitterness and jealousy and selfish ambition and and listening to all the false wisdoms of the world, that's that's heavy. We can't walk with it. But Jesus says you don't have to. You don't have to take it off and put on mine. It's, it's easy. It's light. You can walk with it. You can live your life with it. You can work in what you need to do. You can walk in wisdom with my yoke. You can walk in wisdom with my yoke. We're going to go to the Lord's table at this time. And, and as we do... Uh, maybe you've identified some ways in which, uh, yeah, absolutely, grab your elements if you don't already have them. Maybe you've identified some ways in which you've been walking in earthly or unspiritual demonic wisdom in your life right now. And again, I want to I say that's the beauty of walking in life with Jesus. That we could this morning reconcile where we've been walking in demonic wisdom and we can walk in the wisdom that Jesus provides to us. We can gain more understanding of who he is and how he would call us to walk. And we could come to him with our mess and we can confess it before him and we can be restored. Approach the table rightly today. Repent where necessary. But Approach the table believing these words. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Believe that today as you reflect and as you partake. And this morning, if you know Jesus as your Savior, he, he welcomes you. Trust him. And today, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, well, the good news is he welcomes you too. Take his yoke upon you. Drop the burden of sins that you've been carrying and confess to him and acknowledge that you have sinned before him. And you are in need of his transforming grace. And today you can take the cup with us renewed. If you do that today... You do that right now, you're made new today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give some time for everyone to just reflect and do your business with the Lord. And then uh, I'll close us in prayer uh, and, and we can partake together.